This week has been a very big week. Um, Valentine's Day happened, which for a lot of people is a big day, not necessarily. Um, <laughs> Valentine's Day was also Ash Wednesday, which is very big all over the world. <clears throat> and just um, for interest's sake, um, Ash Wednesday, Lent, those things aren't. Um, I had somebody ask me last week, isn't it Roman Catholic? But in that, isn't it the Roman danger? Roman Catholic kind of way. You know how that sounds. It's not Roman Catholic, it's Christian. Uh, most traditions, most Christian traditions, um, actually do have these feasts. It's mostly us in the Reformed tradition who decided, and all of us now that works. You were surrounded in the Roman church, your, your mother, because all of us come from the Roman Catholic church, with all of these symbols and all of these things. And what do you do when you go away? You decide, let's throw all of that away, because that's bad. And now we're starting to get some of it back because we realized you are not going to lose your soul if you do these things. So don't be afraid when you do these things. It's normal. You are part of the worldwide church. Right, Ash Wednesday. And it's actually quite beautiful that Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday fall on the same day. It's quite poetic. Why do I say that? Because true love is sacrifice. And that is what... Ash Wednesday leads us to, to giving everything of yourself. And that is what true love does. So it made a very, an often, I can't say always, an often shallow holiday, public holiday. It made something deep of it. Also, just on the cusp of Valentine's Day, as we were almost exiting, it happened what all of us have been asking for, praying for, some less forcibly than others. Um, we got the speech that said, I stepped down as president. And um, it, for a while it seemed like this couldn't be real. And then we realized it wasn't an urban legend and the rest of the week happened. So these, this is the background. As it happened, everybody was glad. But as, I don't know if you do, as, you, as I followed social media, my social media, I realized that not all of us were glad for the same reasons. Um, which is a very tough, it's the start of a very, very tough conversation. Um, I had conversations with friends who will say that even though, yes, most of black South Africa is glad that Zuma is gone and Cyril Ramaphosa is, on, is, now, is now president and they have hope for him, they feel like they can't celebrate with their white friends because all of us want different, we're celebrating different things. We are celebrating, yay, the rand is strong and we're not going to lose our property because Cyril Ramaphosa is somebody who cares about the economy. While their situation has not changed yet or much. What he said sounds like the right things, and hopefully he's going to do those things. And what I've, what I, the little I know of him, he is a man of integrity. So my prayer is that he will start doing those things. Um, that we won't hear another beautiful speech in a year's time without much change. But all of these things were in my head, especially considering that it's Lent. Um, Nicholas introduced it very well last week, as he always does. He is. 
you are, you are very privileged to have somebody like Nick teach you. Right after Jesus' baptism, right after he receives, he visibly, physically receives the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, we hear God say, this is my son, my beloved son, of whom I am proud. He goes into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So it's, it's literally an incubation period. He has just received the Holy Spirit. Because remember, in those times, you didn't necessarily have the Spirit in you. Certain people were given the Spirit, as he was. So that 40 days was his incubation period. And after that, he comes out of the desert and he starts his public ministry. And we are in our desert time. Where we should be thinking about who we are, why we are the way we are, why we do things, how we do them, etc. And then this happens in South Africa. And it got me to thinking, this isn't the only the first thing, but this, this got me thinking about peace. And I want to ask you, there's a reason why there's an ellipsis. It's not just because I like dots. Um, I want you to finish the sentence, peace is. So I want you to tell me what peace is to you. And the wonderful thing is there's no wrong answer, literally. There is no wrong answer. So maybe one, of you, one or two of you want to give it a go. What is peace? Yes. Tolerance. Peace is tolerance. Okay. Can I ask you to maybe define tolerance as you understand it, Tiana? People don't all believe the same things. People have different cultures. And it's tolerating and accepting that without trying to necessarily change people. Okay. Because that's where conflict happens. It is Tiana, right? Good. Thanks, Tiana. Uh, peace is tolerance. Just because she had a good one doesn't mean anybody else can't have one. Anybody else want to? Yes, Nastasha. Stillness. Ooh, peace is stillness. You can hear she was at hot pot yoga right before this, right? <laughs> that's beautiful. No, I know. That's, your, that's who you are. I'm just joking. I'm trying to make it funny. It's difficult. More? Compassion. Ooh, peace is compassion. You have to tell me a little bit more about how you understand compassion, Duffy. Um, I think it's based on the premise that we assume that every human life has some sort of inherent value oh. and that we make decisions based on that. Okay, so people are valuable because they are people Yes. and therefore we, it influences our decisions. Yes. Peace is compassion, I like that. Um, what I have often heard and hopefully you will recognize this when you see it as you can go to the next one, thanks Paul. Peace is the absence of conflict. That's a very basic one. And that conflict can be from arguing with words to shooting with guns or grenades or um, weapons of mass destruction. Also peace is defined as freedom from fear and violence. Something that I've noticed in myself but also in the Africana community um, is especially the peace is the absence of conflict. Uh, we don't like tension or conflict of any kind. So we often mock the British. Um, well, maybe you don't and then you're better than I am. But if you do mock the British, we mock the British because they're very polite. 
So they can, t they can say, that's wonderful love, and that can actually mean, screw you, I want to throw the blender in your face. But it doesn't sound that way, and it doesn't look that way. Because everything is nice, everything is calm. And we as Afrikaners, um, as South Africans, not just Afrikaners, English do the same, we do that. We keep our external calm, even though we might feel, be feeling a lot of tension, we don't want to show that, because we are nice. So you might go and vent, at worst, to your husband, boyfriend, mother, but that's where it ends. So it always looks very great and grand and polite, and, but it isn't actually. Have you experienced that as well, even in yourself? I mean, I do that. I have this massive opinion. I have a nuclear blowout in my head. And I just, I'm nice, I smile. That's where I, I often think of the penguins from Madagascar, who smile and wave, boys, smile and wave. That's what you do. Which brings us to the next one. So peace has become this, that peace is being nice. And you understand what I mean with nice, right? It's that surface beauty. What's interesting is that we often equate peace and faith, faith and peace. Because Jesus said, if you have faith, you will have peace. So, if peace is nice, and faith is peace, then what is faith? Faith is nice. Faith is grinning with your teeth clenched. Faith is doing whatever is needed to be pleasant in the situation. And what is the effect of that? The effect of that is that all of us are really nice to each other without really knowing one another, without being honest and open about ourselves or about the person opposite us. And this comes up especially when we are speaking to or in relation to people that are different from us. So on a most basic level, it was funny, the moment I said most black South Africans, you should have seen your faces, um, we get this, there's this mode we go into, the politically correct mode. Um, but different people, in South Africa the most basic difference is black and white. Of course there's Indian and colored as well, but those kind of, they're just wherever, that's not the big thing. But also people of different religions, any time there's a difference, that nice switch goes up to 120%. And what happens? We sit in a situation where all of us are glad that Cyril Ramaphosa is now our president, but we are not glad for the same reasons. And we feel we cannot share our reasons with one another. Because that might cause tension. That might cause conflict. <gasps> Not that. Because good Christian people don't get into conflict. You don't have tension. Which is a very difficult, very awkward thing. What do we do with that? This is something that I am part of a group. It's a closed group on Facebook. Um, that I was invited to because they saw a post of mine and thought I would not 
flame them, which is all about Afrikaners and racism, and the, the conversations on there are really challenging, really amazing as well, frightening sometimes. So this is something that's been going on in my head a while, and then Valentine's Day happened, and Zuma, we saw the back of Zuma. I wanted to get a picture. As I saw it on my Facebook stream, I thought I should save this, and then that didn't happen. Where one of the, um, the newspapers had their, their front page was the back of Zuma's head and the end. That was it. And that was so poetic. And then a new beginning, of course. So I've been wrestling with this for quite a while. And as I was wrestling with this on Thursday, uh, I found I was confronted with the following quote from Martin, Martin Luther King, who did not only have a dream, he had quite a few other things, and he didn't have the dream in that speech the way we think he did. This is a shorter version. I must confess that over the last few years, remember I'm quoting his speech, that that's why I'm using the word Negro, um, to be text true. I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. That's all of us, mostly. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill, this is where I get goosebumps, is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. He would prefer somebody in a white sheet outfit show up than one of us, because at least with that guy, he knows where he stands. With us, we will say the right things, or you won't say anything. But when it comes to doing, we just kind of fade away to nowhere. Which reminded me of a quote I saw um, once in a series of teachings. Uh, and I've taken the value of the dollar and made it equal to the amount of things you could do with the um, dollar amount, the rand amount. That's why it's like this. I would like to buy three dollars, that's about 40, 50 rand. I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a poor man or make a sacrifice for the cause. I want ecstasy on the air services, when we feel the spirit move, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, 
these. And it sounds really harsh, but if we're honest with ourselves, how often is that actually what we're praying? We want to be, we want our faith to be a comfortable place, to be that cup of warm milk before you go to bed at night. And the moment that it starts moving in the direction of having to shake, having to cause tension, having to, we retract, we get back into ourselves, go into a period of finding, finding God and silence and meditation. And there's nothing wrong with silence and meditation, I love that. Which left me a little bit desperate. And the last bit of Martin Luther King's, where he talks about lukewarmness, made me think of Revelation, where Jesus talks about the fact that that's actually, he only, he only names it as one of the sins in Laodicea. But when you look at all of the other congregations, the other six, that's in actual fact what it's all about. The fact that they are no longer passionate, they are lukewarm, they've become blur. Which made me wonder but what? Okay, this is a lot of things that I'm hearing and if you believe as I believe that God is telling me through people, through Facebook feeds, yes, you can talk through Facebook feeds. What am I supposed to do with all of this? Why do I feel like I have to tell you this? And I re remembered James, Jakobus, uh, or the Afrikaans guys. If you, you might not remember, but it's an actual book in the New Testament. It's one of the, the ones later on. At least most people remember that Jacobus or James part of the New Testament is when you get to Jude or Judas that they get a little wide-eyed. Uh, yes, there is a Jude in um, the New Testament. James is the brother of Jesus, which is a wonderful story in and of itself. Because if you remember, when Jesus was alive, his mother and his brothers were the ones who came to him and said, uh, Jesus, come outside and let's talk. With the idea of once you're outside, we'll grab you and take you home forcibly and probably tie you down until you realize I'm just a carpenter and you continue on with your life. Not people who believe in him. After his death and resurrection, his brothers... James and Jude become some of the biggest apostles in the church. So how amazing is it that his own brothers who did not believe do believe and become apostles. That's the James that writes this book. What's interesting is that this book is written later. So it's written in a time where they Christians are not the, the Christian faith has spread over most of the known world through the very enthusiastic work of Paul. Not just Paul, but Paul was a very big part of that, as driven as he was. And so Christianity is known. People know of Christianity. Communities have been established um, from all walks of life, from rich to poor. Everybody's part of the community. And it, it's getting to that stage where things have settled down. It's not new anymore. It's not, have you heard? So it's not 
the latest fad to be a Christian, or the way to make your mom and dad angry to become a Christian. It's just another one of those things. And what starts happening when things aren't new anymore, when they aren't exciting? We start losing enthusiasm. We start losing passion. It becomes going through the motions. And it's to this that James speaks. And what's so cool about James is because he's a Jew, he started out as a Jew that became a Christian, he writes the book as a piece of wisdom. So if you look at James, if you, and it's five chapters, so if you go through it tonight, then yes, please do. It looks like a lot of different sayings, wisdom sayings, which he sums up for you very nicely in chapter one, and then he goes through all of them again. that was supposed to go to all of the churches that existed. So it wasn't written for a specific congregation, it was written for all congregations. And it had words of wisdom for you to hear and hopefully to start living by. It was like, it was almost like the pink literature or the posters or the um, mugs with the beautiful phrases you get on that you buy at Kung. But this was a book that was circulated. And we are going to read from chapter 2. The text is going to be there because I'm reading from the Good News Bible. My brothers and sisters, what good is it for people to say that they have faith if their actions do not prove it? Can that faith save them? Suppose there are brothers or sisters who need clothes and don't have enough to eat. What good is there in your saying to them, God bless you, keep warm and eat well, if you don't give them the necessities of life? So it is with faith. If it is alone and includes no actions, then it is dead. But someone will say, one person has faith, another has actions. You know, it's that I'm an introvert, you're an extrovert, that kind of argument. My answer is, show me how anyone can have faith without actions. I will show you my faith by my actions. Do you believe that there is only one God? Good. The demons also believe and tremble with fear. You fool. Do you want to be shown that faith without action is useless or dead? How was our ancestor Abraham put right with God? It was through his actions, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Can't you see? His faith and his actions worked together. His faith was made perfect through his actions. And the scripture came true that said, Abraham believed God, and because of his faith, God accepted him as righteous. And so Abraham was called God's friend. You see then, that it is not by people's actions that they are put right with God and not by their faith alone. It was the same with the prostitute Rahab. She was put right with God through her actions, by welcoming the Israelite spies and helping them to escape by a different road. Of course, Rahab is the uh, prostitute in question in the story that Mick used at the beginning of the year with um, the great city of... What was the great city's name? 
Uh-uh. No, at, at, the, at the right at the beginning of the year. Jericho? Yes, Jericho. Thanks, Suzanne. Jericho. Remember when they had to walk around the wall seven times? Yeah. Um, what's interesting about the... Oh, sorry. Last, last verse. So then, as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without actions is dead. It's not only about believing, it's about doing. And what is interesting about the two examples that James uses, the things that were asked of them were things that were dangerous, were things that had very real consequences. For somebody like Rahab, even though she was a prostitute, if she were found with two Israelites with her, she would have been put to death, probably by stoning, if she was lucky. Abraham could have lost his son, his one and only son, that he <coughs> almost did not have because of old age. Faith, to have true faith, is to be willing to do what is necessary, what is asked, even if it might cost you, might cost you a whole lot, might cost you your life. And when James talks about this, it's not the faith. The actions that he's talking about, it, the actions are not following the law. When he says we, we can't have faith with our actions, he isn't equating actions to saying that God, Jesus, died on the cross and all our sins are forgiven, but we need to fulfill this list every day for us to be truly saved. That's not what he's saying. We have been saved. And though we might not really deserve it up to the day we die, we will be saved because that is who God is. But because he has given us this amazing gift, we are supposed to live a life that looks like we have gotten the gift that changes everything. Um, I don't think I've used, I, well, I might have used the example here. It's, like when you are in South Africa, when you're watching sports and your team uh, kicks a goal or um, gets a try or whatever, however they score, and it was tense, it's not like you are, yay, my team scored, especially in the Afrikaans community. When you, people two blocks from you know that something's happened and it's probably positive. In exactly that same way, that's supposed to be our level of enthusiasm. Because our, the gift that we've got, gotten is so much bigger than that. Which brings me to the beginning. And if we were then, if we talk about the fact that faith and actions are supposed to go together, that we... We cannot just have faith. We have to live a life that's different. And this reminds me so much. Um, kids often pray. And they, it's beautiful to hear kids pray. And as they get older, they become aware of inequalities. And so I'll hear kids pray, Dear Jesus, please provide for the poor people who don't have food on the street. And that's a wonderful prayer. 
But then I also can't help but think, maybe our prayer should be, Jesus, help me to provide food for the people who don't have food on the street. It's as simple as that, and as difficult as that. And it starts early. And again, because we are nice, we don't have that conversation with kids. Because that's just awkward and next level. And so we grow up to be adults who pray, God, please provide. And we become those people who say, God bless you. When poor Nala, I can see Nala is in pain, and I just say, God will bless you. I'll pray for you. What does that mean for Nala in that situation? When she might just actually need a hug. Sorry, Nala, you're muted tonight, and I'm using you as an example. Uh, Nala is okay. (laughs) Especially when I go back to the one example that we have of what life is supposed to look like. The life of Jesus Christ when he came back from the desert. He, we've made him nice. In Afrikaans, it's beautiful when people pray. You can hear where they are and how they understand God. When they start their prayer with Liva Jesus and they're 50 years old, that says something. It says something of the innocence of your faith. Yes, it could. But it could also be that we've made him this Liva Jesus. What's that in English? What's a good way to, to translate that to English? Margaret, help me. Dear, Dear Jesus, yeah. meek and mild, that, yeah. that thing. We've made him meek and mild. We've made him this... When I think of Dear Jesus, meek and mild, I think of the original Jesus film um, with the guy with the perfectly blow-waved hair that never mind what the situation, I remember he's in the storm. His hair does not move. I promise you. So everything is like this. The disciples are sprayed. They are wet. They're sopping. He, perfect. Hair unmoved. We've made Jesus that. He was not that. Jesus was not nice. He caused a lot of conflict. Not because he wanted to be a rebel. Not because he was this guy who stood up in the morning and said, I want to, know, I want to make trouble. How can I make life difficult for people? That's not who he was. But he was willing to fight the good fight. So if he happened to be in a field and they were hungry and they were taking the loose pieces of corn and a Pharisee came and said, why are you doing that on the Sabbath? We are not allowed to do that. He would not, but we would, what would we do? Smile and wave. Sorry, leave the corn. What did he do? The Sabbath belongs to God and God belongs to the Sabbath. I and my my disciples can eat if we're hungry. God provides, we will eat. That was not the nice thing to do. Remember, he was so nice that they decided to crucify him. They didn't do that to nice people. If that was his life, if that was his mission, his mission was to what? Bring the kingdom of heaven. To show us what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And the kingdom of heaven says, here's my half of my sandwich, if you're hungry. doesn't say, as I'm eating my sandwich. What often happens, and I'm guilty of this too, when you go for takeaways, when you're too lazy to cook, always when you go out, there's somebody that's begging, that's hungry. And I realize, 
I've just paid a whole lot of money for food that's going to make me fatter than I am. And this guy is standing here, and I couldn't be bothered to buy him nuggets. That's all it takes. That kind of thing. That's what the kingdom of God is. To give him the nuggets that you are going to eat, that's just going to add five kilos. I want us to reframe. When we talk about what peace is, especially when we say peace and faith are the same, then I want us to go and realize what, what is peace? Peace lives. Because peace is a living thing. The moment we say peace is, it becomes something, an object outside of ourselves. So you with stillness and compassion, all of you are actually on a very great track. Um, Paul's signature. Peace lives where justice reigns. Which immediately means it's not nice, it's not polite, it's being able to face head on situations that need to be spoken to. So in our context, in this new beginning that we have, to be able to have the difficult conversations, for example, of this is why I am glad that Zoro Ramaphosa is now president. Why are you glad? Can we share this as an example? I want to share a prayer uh, with you. Let the first act of every morning be to make the following resolve for the day. I shall not fear anyone on earth. I shall fear only God. I shall not bear ill will toward anyone. I shall not submit to injustice from anyone. I shall conquer untruth by truth. And in resisting untruth, I shall put up with all suffering. It's beautiful, right? Who do you think prayed it, said it, if you had to take a guess? Maybe you know it. Mahatma Gandhi. The guy you could have had as a Christian if our door did not say whites only. But this reminds, this reminds me of the prayer that Jesus prays in John. Remember, John is the book where Jesus talks a lot. He talks a lot, even more than I do, which is really a lot. And he uses three chapters to pray for his disciples. And in chapter 16, is where he prays, Lord, may they have my peace. Next sentence, literally next sentence. In this world, they will know trouble, for they belong to me. What have we done? We've taken, may they have peace, and just skipped over the last part. In this time of Lent, a time where we are supposed to be refocusing ourselves in our faith, in our understanding of ourselves, of other people, of God, may we be open and willing for God 
to show us where we need to stop being nice and polite and where we start where we need to start taking chances and putting ourselves out there for the right reasons like he did because then peace will start to reign because justice will become present Nick showed this um, music video at the beginning um, two weeks ago I want us to watch it again Sorry for the people listening in English. This is an Afrikaans song. Um, I'll put the link up on Facebook. Maybe a good prayer. I will pray after this, but maybe just a good thought to, again, get in all of our heads as Afrikaners. those words are. 
lead us to the rivers of hate. So that we can be by the rivers of hate and bring your love there. Bring your peace, your justice there. What a prayer it is. It makes me scared. It feels like too much. And yet, we are in a season where we celebrate that you, Jesus Christ, gave everything. Everything you had, everything you didn't have, you gave it all. Lord God, forgive us for how comfortable we become. Forgive us for our fear. For our tendency to bow out of difficult conversations, to avoid interactions that might cause tension or conflict. As we are in this desert time, we ask God that through your spirit, you work and move within us. Every time we crave coffee, or Netflix, or Facebook, or a podcast to avert our thoughts, that when we think of you and the reason we are doing what we are doing, through your spirit, our prayer will be, help us to not be silent. Help us to act. Help us to speak. Lead us to where there is hate, so that we can bring your love. Thank you that we are not alone while we are doing this, that we are filled with your Holy Spirit. Help us to become ever more aware of your presence, Lord God, in our lives, in our hearts, in our thoughts, through your Spirit. Help us to give you the lead more often. And to then step out and say what needs to be said or do what needs to be done in your name, through your spirit and with no fear. Because we are filled with your love. Open our eyes, Lord, broaden our perspective. That we realize it's not just about me or about few of us gathered here. It's about all of us, it's about the world. Lord God, help us to stop praying prayers that we hope you will find somebody else to fulfill them. Let us only pray those things that we are willing and able to do for you. And in that, make us braver. Give us more courage every day. 
so that our prayers don't change, but we do. We are able to pray this because you, Jesus Christ, gave everything. You reconciled us to God. Remind us of the large, huge grace, that huge gift that it is. And light up our enthusiasm once again. Amen. Thanks, everybody. That's it for me. I hope you have a wonderful week. Week two of late.